Good morning, and welcome to the Video Game Open Coffee Club. Uh, a video, a video game recap. <laughs> That's not the right the, word. The recap podcast. I always, I always have to do two takes. Okay, let's try this. Well, again. don't, no, no, don't worry, because we've got a contest to rename the podcast. <laughs> there you go. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so actually, yeah, um, let's talk about that real quick. Sure. Um, so it is up on the Facebook page right now. Or I believe it is. Okay. Uh, it should be live, yeah. and you can put up uh, any any choices that you want to present to us. Yeah. Cool. So basically, uh, something simple services uh, is helping sponsor this naming contest for us. Uh, because they're our sponsor, their the uh, little pitch is that uh, something simple services uh, keep marketing simple. And basically, what they're helping us to do is they're putting up a, a fifty dollar cash prize. Uh, for the winner of a podcast naming competition that we're doing right now. So uh, if you are interested in winning that or you are just interested in coming up with a cool name for the podcast, seeing as we can't do it very well when, when we try to, um, go to the Facebook page. It's the Video Game Open Coffee Club on Facebook. Uh, there's both a page and a group, but you'll find both of them. Uh, and uh, the rules to apply, I guess, are on there. So, uh, and how long does it go? I think it's just all this week. Yeah. Okay. So a, a little bit, a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, we're finishing it out, uh, and then uh, we'll be just sorry. We'll be deciding uh, in the next couple weeks, I guess. So. Yeah. I think the only rule was uh, just try to keep it to one. Uh, yeah. One yeah. Just one entry per person. Yeah. One entry per person. Yeah. So, uh, otherwise, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's going on. That's sweet. Um, should we do intros? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, for okay. the soon to be named podcast, yeah. uh, which is a recap of the <laughs> uh, various events that have gone on in uh, the video game community here in Dallas and uh, the talks that we discussed at the Thursday and Friday coffee clubs, uh, I am Eric Brody, and today we have David Faris and Michael Sewell. Cool. So, um, let's go ahead and hop on in. So, what went on last week? Last week uh, was the second Thursday of the month, meaning yes. that is the Game Dev Drink Up. Um, I did not make it last Thursday. Um, yeah. I was there. It was fun. Cool. As yeah. usual. Yeah. I know that I actually had a friend who went, uh, Chris Kruger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said that he went, and uh, that was the first one he had made in two years. Wow. And he actually really enjoyed himself. Oh, I remember seeing yeah. him. I was, it was definitely yeah. surprised to see I, I, I ran into, well, I guess that was a couple of weeks ago uh, when Jim Welch uh, was able to make it out to the the beer club or whatever. Yeah. But he's, mm -hmm. he's kind of been missing from the game. Yeah, it's, well, it's so. been kind of cool to see some people. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, Jim was able to make that and he had made a DSOP uh, yeah, a couple exactly. weeks ago as well. So it's, yeah. it's cool that the, the gaming scene, although it's been going pretty strong, like a lot of the people that been there in the past um, and kind of taken a leap of absence or had just gotten busy with yeah. other stuff are now kind of finally making it back. So it's good. Yeah, it always kind of feels that like people have a certain amount of time that like they're they're around and then they have to take a step back and that happens. And so yeah, totally. Yeah, and so it, it's it's cool to now see enough time has passed that then people then swing the other way and find themselves with time again to be yeah. able to start coming back. So yeah. Um, did anything else really go on last week? Well, there's the the usual event on Friday at Node, mm -hmm. uh, the indie showcase. Is that right? Or the playtests? Uh, it's the playtests. Play yeah. So Storm runs. Uh, Storm who's on 
like the third episode, second or third episode of this, um, he uh, he runs a essentially playtest event at Node every Friday. Um, and uh, so yeah, that was going on last week, and of course will be going on this week as well. Um, uh, I, I don't believe that there's really anything else. Uh, last Sunday was the, but we probably talked about this last week, uh, was the um, DSOP Indie Mingle at yeah. Double Ray. Um, but yeah, that was it was otherwise a relatively slow week. Yeah. Um, uh, and so then as far as for this week, I think that's actually just about the same. Um, I think so, yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, the only things that I know of are the coffee clubs on Thursday and Friday. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, so you have nothing else to do this week, so you should come to a coffee club. Or if you happen to know of something else that you do have to do this week, everyone else should know. Yeah. Uh, post about it on Facebook or in the Discord. Yeah. Um, I guess that what we should say is big coming up is next week is GDC, yeah. um, of which I know that a bunch of people from Coffee Club are probably going to be out there. Michael, I know that you're going to be out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, maybe on the Discord or something, I don't know if you guys have anything planned, but it'd be kind of cool to maybe have a coffee impromptu club. coffee club out yeah. there. Yeah. 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 I know we did it uh, last idea. year uh, at GDC. Just a couple people met up and had coffee, and that was always fun. So. Well, the question is, which day do you do it? Because odds are, mm, people get yeah. real hungover if you pick the wrong day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That could be the right day to do it. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, or maybe that's the best day to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you'll have to let us know if you end up doing that. Yeah. So. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe we can make a channel on the yeah. Discord for sure. GDC. People will be there. So um, I know uh, anybody who's also part of the Society of Play uh, Discord, there's definitely one out there and um, so that people can get together for lunch and stuff like that and hang out. Yeah, and there's usually there. an IGDA, a Dallas IGDA group one. Yeah. yeah. So so if you happen to be listening to this and you are going to GDC but don't know a bunch of people that are going, uh, that's kind of a good way to get connected. I, I know a few uh, game developers that I've talked to that are going out for their first year and they don't exactly know how to get connected or, or uh you know, just just know a few people. Um, I feel like DSOP is a great organization for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and just Facebook. I mean, there's there's the fellowship of GDC parties, and there's a bunch of other groups uh, out there that are kind of a great way to get connected and, and find out what's going on. So I don't know if you have any other suggestions. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> find a friend who's gone a few times and yeah. learn from them. That's that's kind of what I did. Now. Pretty confident going out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sweet. Cool. Cool. Okay. That's, that's, so that's, that's just about that's it. Yeah. Um, so then moving into the recap. Uh, let's see. So on Thursday, um, I guess maybe disclaimer. <laughs> so anybody who is listening who was there Thursday, uh, sorry if we skip over one of the topics uh, that you guys discussed. Uh, none of the three of us who were here today were at the Thursday club. Um, sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, Ray's out sick this morning, so. Yeah. Yeah. so. But we do have a list, uh, of course, from the Discord of what you guys did talk about. Um, and so I think I'm going to just kind of highlight some of the ones that, like, I think are some of the really interesting ones, at least to me. Yeah. And um, we can kind of go over those, and then we can go through Friday. Yeah. Um, so the first one is uh, the uh, general manager for Yo-Yo Games, which is an indie studio, um, wrote an article on gamesindustry.biz um, that... Uh, were the results of a survey that he did on um, essentially which storefronts appeal to indie developers. Um, and uh, so it kind of goes through and has like a few of the numbers on um, like the various different storefronts from big to small. 
and um, kind of how many developers. And I think that what it specifically says is like game maker studio developers, um, which storefronts they have had the best experience with, and so on and so forth. Um, and so, unsurprisingly, uh, Steam was the highest at like something like seventy percent of um, the respondents enjoyed being on Steam and found Steam as like maybe their favorite. Um, and but some of the other ones that were relatively high, um, Itch was the second highest, um, almost at fifty percent. Um, I know that I'm a really big fan of Itch, um, both just as a player and as a developer. Um, they're just uh, it's it's. I think a little it, the the ease of access to get a game onto the platform um, is a little bit easier, um, and the uh, development team behind it is super open and super easy to contact. Yeah, because they were indie developers themselves. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, they so. they just had their what like five year anniversary. Did they really? I think so. Wow. Maybe maybe I'm going crazy, but I I saw I saw a Twitter post uh, by the the founder of Itch that was talking about some big milestone for them. And, and he was just kind of talking about, uh, like, it's crazy for him to think about that it's been that long because he remembers, you know, just getting it started. So, yeah. so it, it was a really interesting post. Um, I, of course, am paraphrasing and, and yeah. not doing a very good job of it at that. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that, I, I mean, how long has Steve been around? Oh, man, Forever. Like 15 years yeah. almost. I guess when Half-Life... Was it Half-Life? Half-Life, uh, Orange Box, I think. Orange. was. Yeah, so it would have been 2006 or seven. Like, it's always later than I think it is. Yeah. Because yeah. it feels like it's dominated PC gaming forever, and yet, like, I was looking at the exact date that it did start, and it, it was a lot, it was way later than I thought it was. Um, I know that it didn't hit Mac until 2010, because I remember that day. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time I ever downloaded Steam, because I didn't have a PC yeah, at totally. that time, so. Um, so yeah, it it feels like they've had a monopoly, if you will, on the industry for it's, forever. But it really has not been that long. Yeah. yeah. When I think back to it, though, all I remember is people complaining about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, why do I oh, have yeah, yeah. this terrible yeah. platform? And then years later, anytime anybody else comes out with a platform, they're like, it's not Steam, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so it'll be really interesting <laughs> to see, um, like, because. It's such an interesting story how Steam even started, and like I don't think Valve expected it to be what it is. You know, yeah. it's just kind of a distribution platform for their own products. Well, I think it grew so fast that they ended up having to take so many of their their team and put them on further Steam development. Yeah, which is why they haven't released games yeah. in so long. But and I don't blame them. Yeah. Like <laughs> when you're making that money, like. And what a, what a great problem to have. Like yeah. game. <laughs> so we were trying to figure out a way to release <laughs> our game. And then just happened to stumble across like the best game publishing platform we could have. Yeah, because uh, I mean it, it's really funny. I mean, this could be a whole topic in and of itself, talking about digital distribution and just where where the industry has come uh, with getting games out there. One, making it easier to get games out there, but then also the shift in everybody buys digital games now. Like I remember, I think the last actual like. CD copy of a PC game that I bought was probably like Warcraft Three, right? Mm -hmm. And I and I bought like the battle chest, right? Yes, because I, <laughs> I was a huge Warcraft fan. So, uh, but that's at least that's the only thing that I can remember, and the only reason I remember it is because I remember the actual like massive case that came in and everything like 
that, but I don't know. PC wise, can you think? Yeah, of I'm trying to think of. Yeah, PC yeah, wise, I, don't know. I worked at Best Buy, uh, like all through college. Yeah. So that was like I started there in like 2008, and I think I left in like 2012, 2013. Okay. So like that was an interesting like time to be like working in a game department. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm trying to remember when we stopped. <laughs> we always still had a PC department, but like the last big game release that we had that like I got in physical copies for might have been StarCraft two. Okay. Uh two, right? Yeah, that's the more yeah. recent one now. Yeah. Well I'm a PC gamer. No, no. <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah. It was StarCraft two, I think. Um because by the time I remember Mass Effect two, like back in like oh eight or oh nine, yeah. we got in a lot of discs for that. Um and that was like maybe yeah. Yeah, so it's one of the Blizzard games I think was StarCraft. <clears throat> I think the last, at this point, I only, at least with PC games, I only buy physical copies when I want that collector's edition. So, yeah. so the last ones for me were Witcher 3 and uh, the most recent Deus Ex. And actually, statues. in reality, like, would you even prefer to get, um, like, essentially like a Steam key with that, and then, like, what you're really getting is the physical stuff? I mean, I do kind of like a Steelbook. Okay. Even if there's no CD in it, I just like yeah. seal the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the same with jewel cases when it comes yeah, to yeah. Like, actual console games. Um, but it, it's funny because I was going to, speaking of like actual physical games, like I, you worked at Best Buy, I worked at GameStop. And I worked at Blockbuster. Okay, okay. yeah, so, yeah <laughs> that's funny. So, I mean, all uh, very uh, interesting how, how they've changed as well. Um, but yeah, like, like I feel like consoles are I still like to buy uh, the jewel case just because it I'm still kind of stuck in that mm -hmm. that it feels good to be able to have those things yeah on consoles uh, I typically buy a physical copy if it's a single player game because I know okay. I if I want to switch out multiplayer games I don't want to have to swap discs to do that I yeah. want to just boot it up but a single player game I'm typically only playing one at a time totally I'd see that, yeah. Um, yeah. I actually kind of feel it, yeah, yeah, that as I slowly started to move towards only digital on my console, those were the first ones that I started to do that mm -hmm. with. I remember um, the time that I finally made my swap or like, and I started buying digital on my console uh, was the day that Smash Brothers came out on 3DS. Yeah. And I could have just downloaded it at any time, and instead, because I didn't pre-order it, I was just running all around town trying to just find <laughs> a physical copy of that game and yeah. um, just thinking how ridiculous it was that like I I could just download this right now and I could save myself an hour and a half of stress of driving all over the city yeah. trying to get a copy of this. I think that was one of the first ones I deliberately was like, I don't want to have to switch game carts for this. I'm yeah. just going to download that. Like, yeah, totally. So, but yeah, um, there was, and to kind of wrap that up, there was a, uh, on the um, Valve, Valve side of things on my kind of starting speed. Uh, there was a talk that I'm pretty sure that you can still find it on YouTube that Gabe Newell did yeah. on uh, at the University of Texas um, in their business school. Okay. Um, that it's like probably about an hour long, and essentially, on one half, it's supposed to kind of be the history of Valve, if you will, um, and him as a business owner. Uh, but really, what he ends up doing is he spends a great deal of that time talking about. Uh, the birth of Steam and really cool. like what why Valve made as a company the decision to pivot the way that they did and essentially like that being because he was talking to business students and so like uh, the the uh, what it is to run a company and always try to remain as mm -hmm. like 
uh, agile as possible. Yeah. So it's a good talk. Um, cool. Yeah, just like Google gave Newell UT. Yeah. Austin. I'm sure you can find it. But anyway, cool. Um, and actually, kind of as a segue into then that next one. Um, speaking of digital storefronts. Uh, it looks like Congregate, uh, which, as far as I know, is owned by GameStop, I believe. Um, yeah, they, is they actually, acquired like a couple years is ago. A, is a pretty long time ago. Yeah. Um, they are starting their own Steam-like digital storefront um, to compete against Humble, Itch, and of course Steam. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. So, I, as somebody who was a huge Congregate fan for a long time, uh, just I don't know. It, it's weird, I guess, but I I just really like. Uh, flash games, I guess, even though a lot of them aren't flash anymore. But right, there's just right. like quick, like jump on. I have ten. I mean, it's it's the mobile game thing for me, even though. But I, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, like I, I feel like Congregate for me was just this place to go play quick games, uh, kind of get a little itch. Of, well, of we all play. remember being. Class back in like yeah. middle or high school or whatever, and sitting in the back on the computer yeah. and sneaking a couple flash games. Yeah, in, right? totally. well, it kind of took over like after Newgrounds kind of yeah. started yeah. to fade yeah. popularity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, and I think also like I'm I'm a big tower defense fan, and um, that that monkey balloon pop? that monkey balloon mm. pop, man, yeah, <laughs> what a, what a game. Uh, no, but so I I think that those types of games I really like, and often it's hard for me to find games like that uh, to play on PC mm. uh, because usually there's such a short duration type of thing that they're less likely to be made like in full retail uh, versions or anything like that. So the quick uh, like indie developer threw, to get, threw together this programmer art game, but the gameplay mechanics are actually kind of fun uh, was something that I really liked. Plus, I really like the achievements that they built in the congregate so there there were long periods of time where i was like i'm gonna get this badge or this like mm -hmm. set of badges and it was you know 10 game achievements that i had to go do but congregate was something i really enjoyed and really liked um, i don't think it changed a whole lot from from the consumer perspective uh when gamestop acquired it um, I don't know what it's like for developers, um, but you know, GameStop has been now moving in this direction of indie publishing um, and a few other things for the last couple of years. So probably pretty smart with them, especially yeah. with all the complaints about retail storefronts. Totally, yeah. 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 <laughs> but so it's an interesting move for them to now buy the storefronts. It's not about right. Basically, yeah. do that. Um, but I wonder, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how their implementation of Steam-like yeah. uh, game distribution is going to be. Well, I mean, you brought up Blockbuster earlier. And yeah. like one of the things that I always feel, um, like I, I never like to see any company ever like, fail or eventually you know, disappear. But like at the same time, I always have a hard time feeling sympathy when the company actively refuses to change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. And that was kind of how I always felt about Blockbuster. Because like that was Blockbuster was a huge part of like my childhood they, and they my gaming career. Great. Yeah. Early on when Netflix was first starting, yeah. Blockbuster had the opportunity to purchase Netflix. And mm -hmm. Netflix was like, hey, we would love to work with you. And Blockbuster shut them down. 
Wow. And years later, yeah. Blockbuster starts putting out their own version of the streaming service and stuff like that that nobody used. Right. Remember when I was working there, I had to push it to every other customer. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I remember when Blockbuster started doing their own version of like sending DVDs out or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But, like yeah. I was already a Netflix subscriber, like yeah. customer at that point. Yep. Yeah. Like on like I was heavy like a three or four DVD plan at that time. Yeah. Like, and yeah, they didn't yeah. it fast enough. Yeah. Um. And so I've been waiting and interested to see if GameStop finally did something instead of just being angry that digital games were taking over. Yeah. Um, because they have, you know, somebody like a Blockbuster and now somebody like a GameStop has the ample opportunity to take advantage of this change. You know, so, um, they have the money and they have the name recognition to be able to pivot. Yeah. It's just if they wanted to or right. not. Are so, they, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, do you think that, uh, I mean, one of, like, GameStop has made its money on the used game and the traded market. Um, do you think that they will try to incorporate something of that sense into this digital market? Uh, because one one of the big complaints about it is, uh, from the developer perspective, is that developers don't get any cut of the used game sales. Right, right. That's where the majority of GameStop's yeah. profits has been. But used. if they have this digital distribution method, um, they could technically say, you know, on used games, we're going to give this portion or whatever to game developers because it's easier to track. It's something that's easier to distribute the, those proceeds. Um, imagine, I mean, they have like DRM, like Steam is a DRM system. Mm-hmm. So if they have DRM built into uh, their distribution platform, there could be a way to say, hey, uh, I'm done playing this game. I want to trade it in for points or whatever. Um, and then you can use those to buy new games or to get uh, you know, used whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the used version would be or if it's just going to be a trade back in policy. But it, to me, it, it wouldn't make sense to have a GameStop platform without some sort of trade in. But, yeah, but then there's the question of like, is a game used if it's a digital? I mean, I agree. So like, if yeah. anything, you're just returning access to the key yeah. and the software. But what is interesting about that is, um, and, I, and I figured they would be remiss to not do this, is to conti- like to use, to incentivize people to use their storefront over Steam or Humble or mm-hmm. Itch um, to continue and expand their uh, power-up program, totally. their yeah. rewards program, yeah. Yeah. Um, something that any GameStop customer is probably already has something sunk into. Um, and so if you're otherwise going to get, essentially, you're going to spend the same amount of money, get some type of reward for it. Um, and so that would be really interesting yeah. is if there was mm-hmm. some type of trade-in policy. And even if it wasn't really to then start trying to sell a quote-unquote used copy again, yeah. but really just to provide this, this fake currency that is their digital rewards uh, that then can kind of, that then they can put towards anything else yeah. like they you know there's a lot of directions that they could go it could eventually you could get up enough points that then you get a gift certificate for their online or even like um almost like kind of like a bank reward system like a chase rewards or like a credit card sort totally, of thing yeah. where like then you can choose what you get and so like maybe you get a gift card to uh think geek because yeah. you know they're part of thinking yeah. uh, or i guess think geek is part of them um so like there's a lot of directions that that could go there's a lot of interesting things that they could do with that store i could also see them doing like a 
like the EA Pass or the Xbox Pass, yeah. or something like that, where every time a new game comes out, you know, you pay so much monthly and you can play this game. Mm-hmm. I, th- <laughs> I think <laughs> that, that, game that comes out. yeah, actually. So, I mean, the, the game streaming service, that, mm-hmm. that type of thing has been uh, unsuccessful as of yet. Right, like PS um, Now. But and now PS yes, Now and um, yeah, but but um, they're starting to now push that a bit more, and it's something that Steam has never done, but with as or has Steam done it? I don't know. Sort of. Like you could stream from your desktop to your laptop, but not like stream but, but over the whole game. Process. And there's no like Netflix service right, right. type of thing. Whereas I think that GameStop. Could technically, if if this becomes one, they have the financial backing to be able to put out this type of a service. Uh, but if they wanted to again get acquisition, um, putting something out there like that, that at least with their published games or whatever, they could pull this Netflix kind of thing and say, "Hey, subscribe to us for this monthly rate. It's part of your power of rewards. It's part of whatever, um, and you get." basically access to download any of our games on our service for free free uh, as part of your subscription I just did air quotes and then realized this is a podcast that's awkward um, well maybe we need to get a webcam yeah maybe we do yeah um, but uh, but basically as part of our service you get free access to these games and you can play them on demand um, that from a PC standpoint, if it's if it's DRM enabled, you can have people download it. And if they stop paying for the subscription, you shut them off. Again, not trying to put those ideas out there because DRM is a whole topic we could talk about. But at the same time, like that seems like one direction that they could go. It would, it would be interesting to see. I don't know thoughts. You know, yeah, moving on. Whatever. I think that that would be uh, that'd be a legitimate course the GameStop might might take. Yeah. Uh, it's it, also interesting with the whole. The whole trade-in thing, yeah, like for points or whatever. If they get a key back, then that's essentially another copy of the game. They don't need to repurchase, right, to resell it. Yeah. So, if they're not giving you full price back, then they're getting the product at a discount, or getting a new product at a discount, essentially. Yeah. So I don't know what they would do there. I mean, I'm sure they're going to do something. I mean, I think that yeah. I guess the other thing, right, is that if they do that. Like one thing that um, publishers haven't really been able to do a whole lot of is to, I guess, prevent GameStop from selling used games because even if they don't have those new games on launch, they could always buy the used ones and then sell them. So to some degree, like that could be a way that publishers say, well, we're not going to give you our keys because we don't like that. Like, that could be some of the pushback. And I know that uh, we talked about this a couple physical weeks or a couple months ago about the physical games and basically saying, um, we're not going to sell you our physical games. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting thing, I guess, as as we move forward and find out more. I'm sure we'll revisit this topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for now it looks like, and I believe that they're just focusing on... uh, Attracting indies to the yeah. platform, yeah. Um, but of course, you know, there's with everything we just talked about. There's so much opportunity that they could have. That, I know. mean, they they have the whole Game Informer 
yeah. uh, right, know, right. side to it. And I, I'm somebody who, uh, I was a Power Up Rewards member for a long time, but I got it for the physical copy because that was almost like an art book that sure. I could, or a coffee table book or anything like that. Um, so I rarely use the digital version. Um, so I don't know how in-depth it goes, but at the same time, like if they're doing video essays and things like that, again, that could feed into this Power Up Rewards subscription model of, hey, through our platform distribution-wise and as a part of this, you get all these added incentives. I think there's a lot that they could do with this. Um, it'll just be interesting to see what their implementation and execution is. Yeah. I also think it, it makes a lot of sense for GameStop to do more publishing for indies or, yeah. or other groups because they already own a huge distribution platform. Yeah. And that's just physical. If they also have a distribution platform for digital, mm -hmm. that's a pretty huge market share right there. Yeah. yeah. So it makes it makes total sense to me if they jump into the publishing game. And then and then they could do the limited run games style uh, physical releases mm -hmm. of their most popular indie games if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, and wouldn't really lose much by just keeping it like GameStop exclusive. Exactly. Well. Yeah. Should also cut down the costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're in a very rare opportunity. Like, like yeah. direction. So, I mean, that that being said, I was talking. Uh, I was at a startup event, um, and uh, one of the people talking was somebody who uh, has worked with GameStop a lot in the past. And one thing that they brought up though is that a lot of, um, at least the the higher up executives with GameStop don't play a whole lot of games, they come from a business and marketing background, which again, like isn't a bad thing or a good thing uh, on either side, but that is something that um, I think that if, like like a lot of these things that we're talking about, um, I don't know if they come from more of a business mindset or if they come from more of a, a games mindset, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think, yeah. I think it's going to... No matter what, it's going to end up being a business mindset. Yeah. But they're going to PR move it like it's a games mindset. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Cool. Uh, I guess next topic? Yeah. Um, you worked that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, and there's, I think there's a lot that could be said on that. Just an interesting topic that I think that we could have for like our long session sometime yeah. is yeah. like just uh, retail gaming and what it was like to work in three different companies totally, at yeah. some time during like, yeah, that would be the end of, if you will, like kind of, or I guess the transition period yeah. during that Yeah, generation. actually yeah. the reason I love Blockbuster is because my store closed. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, and probably around that same time, I, I saw Best Buy do a lot of different things and trying to keep like, not only just like, just media like with DVDs and CDs, but particularly in their game department, yeah. a few different initiatives that they had. And so. I feel like I saw a lot of GameStop trying to find ways to cash in on digital, even though yeah. their entire business model was based around retail yeah. uh, and physical. Um, but like seeing yeah. the end of PC in GameStop stores and then the rise of digital codes that you could purchase in store as gifts for people and things like that. Right, right. Like I I feel like I hopefully did an okay job of it, but like, you know, that was GameStop was a place that a lot of people would come in to try and buy gifts for people. And it was always like, okay, well like tell us about your nephew or your niece mm -hmm. or uh, your daughter or whatever, granddaughter. Um, and 
will try and help you find something that fits them. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know. In, in, but yeah, we can yeah, shelve that. Yeah, but that, that'd, that'd, be, that'd, that'd be very fun. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> when we do have that conversation, we got to be very precarious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how we describe <laughs> this experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, so. But, uh, so. <laughs> well, I was trying to say everyone worry, one more thing. I thoroughly enjoyed my time when I worked at Best Buy. I yeah. actually think it's a great company. Yeah, to work I love for. Uh, And I'm not just saying that. Like, I actually do legitimately think it's a great company to work for. But. You know, I still go uh, to Best Buy for a lot of my game related purchases. Anytime yeah. I want, like, an amiibo or something, oh, yeah, sure. that's your butt, I'm going there. Yeah, and I, go to, I go to GameStop a lot. Yeah, uh, as well. Now brand loyalty. Yeah, yeah, brand loyalty. Um, yeah, there's one right next to my grocery store on the way home. So yeah. when I'm picking up groceries, I'll just like pop in there and see what's new. Yeah, yeah, it's always just easy. Yeah, that's just always dangerous, though. Yeah, huh? That's always dangerous. Well, you're yeah. spending a lot more money than you planned out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, store. the one last topic that I did want to grab yeah. from Thursday, uh, <laughs> because I've heard a little bit about this, okay. and I'm interested to get y'all's thoughts on this. Um, so either last week or the week before, a game came out called Super Seducer. Oh, yes. Yeah. There was yeah. a donkey video on that. Yeah, yes, there was. That's actually how I first heard about yeah. it. Um, and so, for those who don't know, uh, Super Seducer is a, a full motion video style game um, in which you essentially choose, uh, it's kind of like a, an adventure game of like kind of choose a dialogue response and then you see then the scene of what ends up happening. Yeah. And there's mm -hmm. typically one proper one that you're supposed to do, and then that continues the story, if you will. Dragon's Lair, you know, there's been a ton of right. Yeah. if you think back in the day. Um, well, the particular... Interesting comparison. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's totally the style again. So the uh, essentially like pitch of this game is uh, you have this dude, who I think is the lead developer, uh, essentially is talking to you and telling you how to pick up women as a heterosexual man. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the particular thing that made, or I guess the particular angle of this story is uh, there has been some controversy, unsurprisingly, around yeah. this game. And uh, PlayStation decided on the day of release to not put it on their storefront. Mm. Yeah. Good. So, uh, and, and they have really had a response on why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I, I've seen a few videos uh, about the controversy mm -hmm. um, and just kind of talking about the interesting ways that like Sony has blocked certain things but then also put out uh, and heavily promoted, well maybe not heavily, but like on their YouTube page, uh, they promote games that are not even fully complete that mm -hmm. are on sale or things sure. like that and, and are not again aren't like early access not complete but just are this is our finished product and it's really not well made or well developed or anything like that um, and it seems like super seducer from the development side of things is actually a pretty solid game it's just the controversy right, around right, the whole right. thing is whether or not um, well what's interesting yeah. to me is uh i think if this game had come out like even two years ago, oh, totally. one, two years ago, nobody would care and nobody would have heard anything about it ever. But because of the timing right now and the political landscape, of course it's going to cause controversy. Yeah. But we've seen games like this, like all my entire gaming life, I've seen games like this, like Leisure Suit Larry, sure. which is one of the most sexist games ever, yeah. though it does try to do some comedy in there. It's pretty... Yeah, and, and it does... <laughs> yeah, and so it... 
you know, in in the criticism that this game takes, and the criticism that like Leisure Suit Larry takes, and like games like that, um, is not without merit. I don't think like these are things that we should discuss. Of like, is this okay to do? Is this okay to say? Should we, as a society, be okay with this type of treatment of women or this type of depiction, even of men or things like that? Um, And so I think that there are good conversations to be having, Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that everybody. Is unsure. I think that on the big level for companies like and for brands, are they're unsure of what we really even should be. Not yeah. necessarily like what we should be supporting. Just by putting something on a platform doesn't necessarily say anything about you because you could be somebody who just simply believes that I don't agree with what this is saying, but I do believe that they have the right to say it, and then we can talk about it, right? Yeah, and I mean to some degree, whether or not. Uh, so, I mean, right now we're also in this huge discussion about, well, the country seems to be in a huge discussion about violence in video games. And that's something we've talked about at the coffee clubs and even on this podcast about the validity of certain arguments uh, and studies that have gone mm-hmm. to show that violence in video games doesn't actually lead to violence. Uh, but at the same time, it's interesting that Sony would allow for a lot of extremely violent games on their store, but games that deal with a, a sexual nature, and and that's something that our country struggles with a lot uh, in our yeah, media yeah, and in our it's entertainment. It's simply a, a Western mindset, uh, right? Well, but not even Western. Like if you look at the UK or Australia or things like that, their views on violence versus mm-hmm. sexuality are almost flipped. Yeah, uh, yeah. in a lot of ways. It's so actually, it's, like, by Western, I usually picture like the Americas, oh, not okay. necessarily. Well, all of your yeah. but anyway yeah i mean that was actually something i was specifically actually going to bring up yeah it's like um it's this weird american version of like what is acceptable and what isn't yeah in that what we put violence wise on just primetime programming um is way more than what you would see in a similar slot in a lot of other parts of the world and yet what (laughs) you know you're you're allowed to have like you know, somebody being shot and have blood spray, yep. but then you can't show a guy's butt. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like uh, on on primetime TV, and so it's just the the odd elements of what is allowed here versus what is allowed other places. I would be interested, um, and at least uh, you know the article that I've seen it doesn't say anything about it. If um, Sony Europe and or Sony Japan allows it on their storefronts, yeah. and it's just not Sony Americas. That'll be or really Sony North Americas. And something interesting that I kind of want to bring up is, you know, the title of the game alone is pretty, like, uh, Oh, yeah. But but is it inherently bad to put out a game like this, where the intent is to gamify and, you know, help people who otherwise don't have very good social skills improve that? Like, if the intent is just to help people like that, not necessarily for specific sexual needs or things like that, but if the intent is to help people who otherwise can't help themselves, then is that inherently a bad thing? So, what what I would say on that is that I really wish that this game had been... uh, Now, again, it's FMV, um, and so it's probably somewhat costly to produce those videos, and I mean, the quality of the videos seem to be pretty good. but Probably still cheaper than CG. Definitely, yeah. Oh. But but so what I was going to say is I wonder how much it would have bloated the scope or expanded the scope of the project if they had just made it a bit more inclusive. Um, so if they had allowed you to choose your gender and who you were seducing 
or anything like that. I mean, I wonder if this was an anime game where like you're yeah. using weapons and then you fight with them, but yeah. they're also your boyfriends, like a certain that's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. but what I was gonna say is <clears throat> it would that to me would have made this abundantly more clear from Sony's perspective or from whatever, yeah. because then you could say, okay, are they banning it because it's just uh, a sexist stereotype of men trying to seduce women? Uh, a, which, a game that entirely it gamifies the male gaze. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and that's totally what it does. And so is, is it because Sony hasn't responded? We don't know, right? Is it coming from the backlash against uh, sexism in the workplace or in entertainment or in anything like that? Or is it just from it being a sexualized game and that's yeah. what it's focused on? Because if that's all that it is, then our comments about violence and sexuality and whatever, I think do have a lot more merit of like, why is Sony doing this? But if you look at it from a, a perspective of, oh, this is just like, yes, uh, gamifying the male gaze, then, okay, is this really a game that we should be promoting or that we should be talking about? That's a good point. I don't know. Well, that's fine. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's it's definitely negative to be in the fine of that Yeah. Right. But uh, unless unless you're doing it, I mean, it is, it is critiquing a, it. It, like is, if, it is a yeah. somewhat comedic game in certain aspects of how mm -hmm. they do it. But from some of the things that I saw, even some of the ways that they approach, like, this is how you're supposed to actually do it, still seem to be somewhat male gazy. Um, and so, so there's right, this, right. there's this like, is it actually like, no, you should treat people with respect, or is it, well, the reason that you're doing this is to get them to right. go on the a prize at the end. Yeah, right. and so, so then like, it's not really a full parody of it, or it's not critiquing right. it because at the end of the day, it's still achieving the goal in their mind. Quote unquote of telling them. Right. If the whole purpose it. is for that in the end, yeah. then it's negative by default. Yeah. Right? But if if they were to put out a version of this that's just intended to to help, you know, people who aren't very good socially right. and yeah. it's just about, you know, how to meet people, how to present yourself and how to be genuine, yeah. then I think there there could be yeah. merit to it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. 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 That's yeah. What about Friday? So Friday was uh, good. I'll talk through it pretty quickly, because uh, I know we're getting towards the end of how long this should be. Uh, but Friday was actually uh, really good. Um, we had a, a pretty decent sized group um, and talked about kind of a whole slew of topics. Um, we got started talking about, um, so I, I got reached out to by a guy who's a part of the Facebook group um, and has been to um, like one or two coffee clubs and then actually was uh, volunteering at the IGDA winter party and that's how we connected even more. Um, but basically he, uh, his background is in uh, archaeology and anthropology and he is really interested in video games and in, in uh, game preservation. Hmm. Um, and so we actually met up uh, last week and chatted about this and he I, I guess interviewed me to talk about the types of discussions that we're having, at least within the coffee club community. Um, and so we got talking about um, kind of some of the discussions we've had about like archive.org, having all the Atari games out there, uh, basically playable through an online emulator, 
uh, emulation as a whole discussion in general, um, and kind of the idea of multiplayer only games and like how when the servers go down you can no longer play them. So we had a discussion about that from a preservation perspective, but he also then brought up a few key examples that I thought were really interesting. Um, and basically within the last year, uh, two major companies have uh, lost parts, if not all of their source code uh, for some pretty big games. So Konami, uh, when they, they released uh, Silent Hill 2 and 3 as part of a remaster. Oh yeah, the, the really basically. bad HD remake. And so basically the really bad HD remake, Konami ended up coming out and saying... Was that the actual subtitle for the game? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, so, but so basically what happened is Konami ended up coming out and saying, hey guys, sorry, like the reason that it was so bad is because we actually lost our final build of the game. And so we were sending out like an earlier stage uh, wow. point in the development, and that's what we ended up sending off to the people who remastered this game. I mean, that, it's actually not an uncommon thing. Yeah. I know Gearbox has had some some of their earlier games, yeah. they don't have all the source code for anymore because of yeah. server malfunctions exactly, at one right. point and other and, things like that. And so that's, so that's something that he's looking at right now is like trying to, and again, it's really hard for him to do his research anyways just because most game companies don't want to talk about this stuff and don't want to talk about their own right, internal right. practices. Um, but so we got talking about uh, Konami uh, in in regards to Kingdom Hearts 1.5 remix. They lost all of their art assets um, and had to redraw everything. So yeah, right. So so like when these remasters are happening, either those remasters wouldn't happen, or they have to end up spending a lot of money and a lot of time and assets on building these things again. Um, and so one of the points that we ended up having a discussion about, and then brought up and talked about in the coffee club was how do now from like as game developers we don't really want to give up our source code we don't want to uh share a lot of that stuff that's why you have to sign heavy ndas whenever you even talk with game developers about their code um, but if this is a problem that seems to continue happening how do you find a way to try and preserve some of this kind of stuff is that a place where a third party could step in and like amazon has their web services um you know dropbox is there github is there things like that and maybe you have private internal repositories and things like that that you're doing for source control but is there a place that could even if it was like maybe a non-profit organization that is not going to be ever replicating or ever using these things, but is a kind of dumping grounds repository. Mm -hmm. um, so Matt Cox uh, was uh, was at our Friday discussion as well, and he kind of brought up this whole thing of, do we really need to, though, or do we really want to? Because like, if you look back at code that you wrote 20 years ago, um, is that code that you really want to uh, be reusing like code is something that is always evolving, right? And, right. and our, our standards and our methods of game development are always changing and always improving. Um, so kind of the question is, is like, should we really be just porting things uh, or remastering or whatever? Or should we be doing like Final Fantasy VII is where they're basically taking the entire game and remaking it in Unreal, right? Yeah. Now, again, right. from the perspective yeah. of cost and all these other things, like 
the question is, is like he was very much of the mindset, and I don't want to talk for him, uh, but yeah, we'll he, bring him on. Yeah, we should, we should. But um, but he brought up like, well, like a lot of old games aren't that great in in, in certain terms. Like there there are some games that are really well done, but he he personally doesn't have a lot of time to play a lot of different games. So I, he, I can understand the mindset. It's like you go back and play an older game, and you realize, oh. I'm, I've been used to like newer yeah. mechanics and controls, and this just feels really clunky by comparison now. Yeah, Whereas totally. back in the day, it felt wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds on this. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I wish I was there. Yeah, uh, I really. Yeah, yeah. this is yeah. this is a Dang. subject that I'm super passionate about, and um, <clears throat> and ironically, I live in the city with a video game history museum. I'm actually still Yeah, but I, I but it's right down the street. I yeah. know, like literally, right. hey, literally, we're gonna take a field. We should do that with the coffee club sometime. That'd actually be fun. Um, I think that to his point, yes, uh, there are a number of games that like you you could ask yourself, is this important for us to try to maintain? Um, And you know, it in the long run, it is impossible to try to maintain all of them. Um, And not just simply from that, but I mean, that's just true with art in general. And what you know, a lot of people like forget is like how many books since the printing press was created. Have been lost to time, yeah. Um, yeah. And like what we really do end up keeping and actually maintaining are typically the the best of the best. And so, like in the long run, you know that you know a hundred years from now, will people know of even ninety nine percent of the games that came out in the past five years? Probably not. Yeah. But they will know a couple of them because they've been the ones that have been preserved. And that's why I'm glad that you did bring up like if there was a preservation society or company mm-hmm. to actually maintain. That's why I feel it needs to be something that is nonprofit yeah. um, and either with a very, very big donor base behind them or run by uh, like the government or something like that. Um, that's a preservation society in the same way that like art and anything else is because it is maintaining a very important part of culture um, from that perspective. And the reason um, that I feel that nonprofit is the direction to go with it is uh, if it's commercial the way that it is now, because we do have some games that do that in that publishers are redoing, like remastering their own games. But again, they're only remastering their most popular ones. And then you have good old games, and that's like literally what they do, um, is people just hand them their source code and say, cool, yeah, do with it what you will, if you want to do anything with it. Um, And actually that's where uh, we were talking about like Valve and like kind of different business models for studios. Mm -hmm. That's literally where like Project Red gets all of their money. (laughs) Like The Witcher did really well, but no, like they have. Now their profits up. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. But in the past, gone. yeah, it's it's because of God. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even from that perspective, it's still a commercial endeavor, and so they're going to focus on products that they know would sell. And there's a lot of products and projects from the past, you know, fifty years of gaming that would not sell in the modern marketplace, and yet are still incredibly important for us to maintain. Yeah, totally. So, um, so yeah, I think that's something that we could talk. Forever we about, should. but uh, I guess I, I'd I just be worry that as long as companies can years down the line remaster some of their games and make a profit anew yeah. on a product they've already you know made. Well, actually, to that point, um, one of the interesting parts of this is games are now we're reaching a point. It's still going to be a while before like really big commercial games mm-hmm. are here, but we are reaching a point that like. We need to start thinking about when copyright on these actually yep. starts to 
And so, so that's actually something that we brought up as well. Yeah. Is like, how does like Chris Disney Thomas, is actually running into this right now? Yeah. Because some of their uh, movies are yeah. now hitting the point that because what is it, eighty five years? I think so. Um, that their movies are now no longer going to be copyrighted. So and um, what what is well, that? It's not, that? It's not Creative Commons, but it's no. It, it, yeah, it becomes part of the because it's a work of art. It becomes part of just like the but the, yeah. but that's also part of the reason that like they're doing all these live action. Yeah. Uh, remakes of these movies is that, that that basically helps them keep it as a part of their uh, under their thing. It's it's how they've kept Mickey out of the the common right. Uh, anybody can create a movie with Mickey is because they continue bringing Mickey Mouse back yeah. uh, into all of these things, modern whatever. So I mean, yeah. the thing is, I mean, it's also like Doctor Who is one of those that like it's. Kind of a questionable like what is fair use and what isn't and like what is allowed under like the same way that sherlock holmes anybody can use sherlock holmes in anything they want because there's no owner that's alive anymore uh, arthur conan doyle died hundred well then why ago. don't we just see a million sherlock holmes could be cement? because uh people don't make sherlock Holmes movies all the time. It's yeah. there's there's nothing holding people back by making sure. Like, and we're reaching that point with a lot of like, we are now past eighty five years of recorded music being yeah. a thing, and so like a lot of things that like melodies and songs that were copyrighted are not anymore. Yeah. And uh, you know we're going to start seeing that with films. I mean, just think when Gone with the Wind is going to be a yeah. you know. Um, and so we're not there yet with games, but it's not too far off that we're yeah. going to start seeing yeah. that as well with them. But, but yeah. And once we reach that point, it's even all the more important that we have some type of preservation process sure. for these things. Yeah. So that then if somebody wants to, let's see, uh, in 2065 or something, if somebody wants to make their own version of Pac-Man, like for a student project or like make their own version, that they have the ability to be able to do it because they still know that Pac-Man was a thing yeah. because otherwise we will lose it. Yeah, so uh, I guess speaking of preservation, of nostalgia, of uh, allusions and references to older versions of art, uh, Ready Player One is coming out soon. Mm -hmm. Oh uh, yeah, that's... And, and right now it's, it's getting a lot of hype at South By. Now, a lot of people might say that South By Southwest is 100% hype, and that's all that it is. <laughs> but uh, but that being said, like I've seen a lot of people uh, it's tweeting, premiere, tweeting right? about yeah, basically how amazing it is and how excited it is. Cool. Now that's the perfect crowd for it to premiere at yeah. because it's a bunch of techie, mm -hmm. nerdy people who nostalgia is like a lot of what they do. Um, and that, that's exactly what that book and yeah. movie is. Well, it's probably the right age for oh, totally. that version of nostalgia yeah. as well. That but, time period. Yeah, but that being said, like, there, and I mean, this is like, archaeologically speaking, like, this is a lot of what our history is based on and a lot of what our understanding of past art is based on is not the original source yeah. material, but references, secondhand, thirdhand references to this other types of stuff. So, um, like Ozymandias, right? We don't actually know of, like, we've never seen the statue, but we know all these references to these different things, or, yeah, we, or, yeah. we, or we only know the, the little base that, that we've seen. So it's like all of that kind of stuff. Um, it would be interesting to find a way, especially as, we're, as we live in a digital culture, where a lot of these games are 
100%. I mean, it's digital code. Like, if we can find a way to preserve it, we don't have to rely on second and third hand sources to talk about Pac-Man yeah. or to talk yeah. about Undertale, right? Like, we talked about Undertale as, like, this game that it's an indie game that a lot of people have talked about being such an amazing game, uh, such an amazing take on whether or not combat is even necessary in games and things like that. Um, there may be a lot of games in the future that are influenced by that and influenced by that take. But if the source code for Undertale is lost, if the, if nobody is ever able to play Undertale, but now there are these references to it in other games in the future, it, I don't think that that would be a good thing, right? Like, I think, I think no, it would be cool to have those, but I don't think it would be a good thing to have lost. Oh yeah, the original game, okay. right? Yeah. So I, so that's why yeah, I, I just, I, you made me just think of a completely related but totally separate point in that, like, and if they're able to preserve it, then uh, that's a game that's very reliant on knowledge of the context. Totally, that yeah. like it was released in, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and it's very much like I just I see an essay like I'm forming a video essay in my mind sure right do. now on like that Undertale is uh, a modern like a video game version of uh, Huckleberry Finn. Totally, yeah. In hmm. that like Huck Finn, and, and so like a lot of people's understanding of Huck Finn is the story that it yep. is, and in that it's about a boy on a journey, yep. and yet it's totally a satire oh. of the romantic novels that were of that time period. Um, but without that context of the, like, essentially we talk about the books that were lost to time because yeah. they were garbage. That is what Mark Twain was making fun of, yeah. and he and it was, it was just very early satire. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that's funny. And, that's and, and, and games deserve to have that opportunity as well, to yeah. be misconstrued and misunderstood, yeah. And, yeah. and evolve with time. Yeah. yeah. So I guess with the older games and the older media that all came out physically, yeah. Right. We can even if the source code is missing, you can find a ROM off of an old, uh, old cartridge, mm -hmm. or you can rip the ISO off of a disc and and keep that around, right? But with all the more important to do that as well, because uh, especially cartridges, we're yes. in a race against time. Right. Those cartridges, the yeah, yeah, um, data rod. But yeah. with with the new digital platforms, uh, if source code gets lost for those, and there's no way to yeah. find a digital copy of it again, what are we going to do about Again, this? the idea of, that's why I think something like a nonprofit is really important, yeah. is like, maybe there's a certain time period that you as a company can maintain it, uh, but like, and maybe it can be entirely voluntary, I almost argue that it should not be, that like just, if something is released to public and is considered a game, uh, there should be a place that, like at the Library of Congress, that yeah. you just have to upload it to. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so I think that like my idea behind how to help this or how to mm. figure it out was almost from a, a private sector uh, approach, which was uh, create a nonprofit organization that does this, use the grants and things like that that Amazon has out there or Google has out there for storage and for anything else like that, uh, where as a nonprofit you get a bunch of credits to basically use this. Um, and that's how you at least initially start paying for it and just create a service that is a GitHub whatever for at least indie developers, if not anyone else. And basically as part of the terms and service, as part of whatever, you basically say like, 
we will not use this. Um, you can sue us to hell and high water if you want, but we're not going to use this as a way to try and get people to basically yeah. be willing to. And from, from an indie perspective, I think it's a pretty easy buy-in, right? It's a, we will help you to uh, maintain your code, to offload a lot of this stuff that you're doing just on your computer or on some backup hard drive that you have. Uh, but the, the big thing is, is how do you talk to AAA developers and how do you get them to start doing things like that? Because, I mean, we talk about Gearbox, right? Like this entire building uh, is uh, Gearbox offices. Um, I'm sure that there are quite a lot of servers that are solely devoted to backing up uh, code and backing up things that are already done um, or past games or whatever. Like how do you get a Gearbox or a large developer to buy into this idea of, hey, we have our backups and we have all of our uh, fireproof measures, but we should also upload to this service or we should also give off at least our final builds. Yeah, as and I think that would be the easy way to do it. Well, I mean, as you were saying, uh, yeah. our practices are constantly evolving, right? no, so we don't necessarily yeah. need to always revisit some of that older code. Yeah. So I wonder, I mean, obviously, after a game's released, that company is not going to then want to release their code right yeah. now, right? But I could see there being like a five, ten year period after where it's like, okay, now it's like clearly we're not going to use this old stuff anymore. Yeah. Maybe but, it's worthwhile. To but one of the it. things that we are, so, and maybe that's the way to get started, but like there's also like one of the big issues with the games industry is that like companies don't always last five years, right? Or, or some of these big companies maybe just like default or go bankrupt or Well, whatever. usually when that happens, those properties get auctioned. Which is companies. true, yeah. But if, like if, yeah, but, but if they're bought by a company, um, I know that all of that stuff goes to that company, but at the same time, like, if they have differing practices than the company that you do or not as diligent practices or anything like that, like, how can you make sure that the stuff you're getting is is still yeah. worthwhile. This is one way that I think that you could do that, or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe that, and again, maybe that's another discussion for another day. Um, so one thing that I'll do really quickly, I, we probably don't have time to talk about the rest of the stuff, mm -hmm. um, but I'll do like a rapid fire quick uh, things <laughs> that we quickly talked about. Additionally, um, so we talked about uh, Ardu Boy. Um, which I don't know if you guys know about it, but basically it's a Arduino. Yeah, we did briefly. Okay, sweet. But so we talked about Arduino Boy again. It's a um, Raspberry Pi thing. Yeah, um, and and just like development on it and some cool stuff that's happening there. Um, we talked about uh, loot boxes, of course, uh, because they always come up. Um, but the reason that we talked about them is because we were talking about uh, PUBG and Fortnite and the differences here and there between them um, and Fortnite now coming to mobile uh, being... And Hugget. Both are coming to mobile. Oh, really? I didn't know PUBG mm -hmm. was as well. That was so, another topic. Okay, but yeah, so both of them are now coming to mobile. Um, it'll be really <laughs> interesting to see what happens there. Uh, we talked about Star Citizen uh, because uh, uh, we basically Jonathan was talking about uh, he logged into Star Citizen and uh, he was like, you know, if this game had been where it's at now, four years ago, um, I would have been really impressed. Um, but uh, it's it, it seems like it's forever going 
Yeah, know. that one's that one's an interesting race against the clock. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it doesn't have a release date, and it's super, uh, super ambitious. Yeah, what they're trying to do. But the that longer means, they take to do it, the less ambition. And ambitious the longer it that it, what we've also, because we we're, I was actually talking about Star Citizen, and and we were talking about the industry with like a few friends yesterday, and like yeah. by the time it finally comes out, even if it were to come out this year, like the industry has changed mm-hmm. so much that I don't know if there's interest in that type of game anymore. Or at least the amount of interest that would be required for them to turn a profit on yeah. that game. Yeah. Well, and they're doing some interesting things business-wise, too. Like, you can buy ships for that game. Yeah. And have you seen the prices on those? Yeah, like $500. Yeah. So they're going for the EVE Online community. Yes, yeah. they're yeah. doing the EVE kind of, yeah. like, full experience EVE, yeah. which yeah. I think sounds promising sure. still. Yeah. I'm interested to see where they go with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but if it never comes out, then <laughs> so I don't know. And then the the last thing that we also talked about uh, was Jurassic World Alive. Yeah, that so, was on the Thursday list. Okay, yeah, alive. So I oh, is that the sequel to the world? No. So basically, it's um, it's a promotional uh, marketing tool for the like the new movies coming out. Yeah. Um, but it's an it, augmented reality, but it's right? it's Pokemon Go with dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you look at the game, if you look at the trailer, if you look at like all of the stuff that's out there, like it literally looks like they reskinned Pokemon Go, but it's by a different developer. It's not Niantic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they basically rebuilt Pokemon Go and decided yeah, the look and feel of this is pretty much what we want to go with. Um, the interesting thing, they are adding uh, basically the ability to breed dinosaurs and create hybrids and some other things. So I don't know, it'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I was of the mindset like, I was a huge fan of Pokemon Go when it first came out because of the kind of cultural phenomenon that it was. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Jurassic World Alive is going to have the same thing because one, it's not the f- like that experience has already happened for Pokemon. Um, now, Jurassic World uh, has a pretty big fan base, um, but is it the same like avid? Uh, Ra- well, I think raving fan base that Pokemon has probably not. Right. Well, I think the reason that Pokemon Go had such a cultural impact is that Pokemon's been around for a long time, totally. and it was huge with our generation. Well, Jurassic right? Park has as well. Well, well, but, well, well but with well, Pokemon, you can argue agree. like it. There was a there was a Forbes wrote a thing a long time ago about that. Uh, uh, Pikachu has overtaken Mickey Mouse as oh, the most okay. recognizable mascot. Oh, in interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, but, but the promise of the reason Pokemon Go did so well, I think, early on is because the promise of making Pokemon real yeah, yeah. is what it did, yeah. right? Like, yeah. make it so you're actually out there capturing Pokemon with yeah. your friends. I don't feel that with Jurassic Park or Jurassic World as much as I love that series. Yeah. I think that for me, it doesn't need to be what Pokemon Go no, was. And actually, in reality, I don't want it to be what Pokemon <laughs> Go was. Yeah. Like, for a while, it just seemed like... I'm never going to be able to drive or go to a park ever again because yeah. just there. I need to always be on the lookout for people who are playing either while driving or yeah. playing and are going to be walking out in the yeah. street and stuff um, because there's just hordes of people everywhere. Yeah. But as a huge fan of augmented reality games, yeah. and I feel like we just still have barely tapped what totally. the potential. We haven't even tapped what the potential of that is. I want there to be more. I want there to be comp- like enough to be made that there's competition in that marketplace. Yeah, and totally. so like, I don't care if there's a ton of players or not. I just want there to be just enough that then it maintains interest for more developers to be making yeah. arcs. But cool. Yeah. 
So that was that was kind of. I'm happy to see that they're doing it, even if it's for like a marketing purpose. <laughs> well, and just so, because I want more augmented reality games. Yeah, now. and I mean to be honest, like I think that, like you were saying, it doesn't need to be what Pokemon Go was. Yeah. I don't think that it's intended to be. Yeah. I think that it's a it's a marketing tool and a promotional tool for uh, for the new movie that's coming out. And I think that it's a well done game movie connection. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I don't know. It'll be interesting because I think that the premise of the new Jurassic World that's coming out is that like the dinosaurs get into the real world, like they are no longer a part of the park. They break out, and now you're in a park. It's really synergistic. Yeah, and so so you're in a park, and there are dinosaurs around you because they're ravaging around the town. Like that fits in with. Sure. Hey, I'm on my phone and I see a dinosaur. <laughs> so I think that it's a good tie-in, and I think that that could even be another discussion topic for us down the road: is game movie tie-ins. Sure. Um, and or TV show movie or TV like show. Stranger Things. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, yeah. We're we're utilizing transmedia better. Yeah. But it's still not where it should be. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that. I hope that augmented reality isn't just used just as a marketing tool, mm -hmm. um, because that's what happened with alternate reality games. Yep. And just like augmented reality, like alternate reality is such a cool medium for game design that just was never really tapped. Yeah. And um, the the best case studies and examples that you can give for alternate reality games were marketing tools yeah. uh, for like movies like The Matrix or for album drops and stuff like that. And it's like there's there's a lot that designers can do to create really, really cool experiences in games that are in that medium and mm -hmm. augmented reality the same way. And I, and I feel that because it was only used as a marketing tool, alternate reality is just kind of lost as, totally. as yeah. a style of game. And I don't want to see that happen with augmented reality. Yeah. Well, I think we could have a, a larger discussion on the mixed media yeah. Uh, yeah. things and the augmented reality uh, games and where we want to see that go. One thing I want to bring up when we do have that conversation is Quantum Break. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a very interesting take on that mixed media there. Yeah, yeah there was that, and there was, uh, what was the Sci-Fi Channel show uh, that yeah. had a video game that released at the totally. same time? Yeah, um, and like what actually literally happened, that was happening in real time, and like what was going to happen yeah. in the video game would then affect the storyline for yeah. the second season and seasons forward. And then yeah. nobody bought the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is okay, and like I think that it's a good example of so, uh, okay. how to do it. Yeah. Well... Uh, we can keep going. Yeah, five minutes. All right. So, uh, just to go off of that, mm -hmm. um, and this could maybe be our slight post discussion, but uh, have there been any indie developers who have, say, web comics or web videos that are tied into their indie game that's put out there? Well, I mean, you could always go with the Penny Arcade Adventure Games. I guess. Sure. Yeah. That's an easy one to jump to right away. Yeah. Um, CNH, Cyanide and Happiness, yeah, uh, yeah. ran their Kickstarter um, for their own game that they're doing now. And they have their board game too. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but yeah. I guess I, I meant like like you were mentioning, like the idea of like, here's a web series that we're doing, here's a tie-in game, and this tie-in game is going to affect the outcome in the future, whatever. Well, I think, uh, I think in another place that you could take this is uh, anime games. Yeah. Because a lot of those start out as manga, then become a full anime, and then eventually a game series, or in different orders there. So, and one of my favorites with that is the Dot Hack series, yeah, which yeah. was an anime, a manga, novels, 
and all the stories were interwoven and tied together. So speaking of the dot .hack series, that's one of those things that I wish that there were emulators per se out there because trying to get a hold of the dot .hack games oh, yeah, they are, they is so different. And, and that's like, I am somebody who I remember when they first came out, I was like, oh, this seems really cool. And I didn't happen to play them at the time. And now, like, I wish that I could go back and play those games. Well, you know, they just released a, an HD remaster of the GU series with an extra added episode on Okay. On All right. So if you're interested, you definitely should yeah, play Yeah, I will definitely That's one of my favorites. Is that, is that something I can just jump into without having... Uh, I would watch the Dot .hack Roots okay. series first. Dot .hack Roots? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you about this afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Because this uh, is it's something that I... I'm a big Dot .hack fan. So, so. Cool. Glad, glad to meet you. <laughs> but, but so... Basically, this idea of like it would be really interesting to see uh, something that more heavily utilizes that connection between uh, and and I feel like the indie world or the like small developer community could maybe be more agile and more flexible to be able to do something like that versus a big sell to Netflix or to and now Netflix. It could be really cool to see them do something like that, mm -hmm. um, and maybe they'd be willing to, especially with the success of the Stranger Things games and their game and things like that. Uh, but I don't know if they would even be willing to do that. I don't know. That's mine. I feel like if Quantum Break had, had opted to work with Netflix to produce their live action yeah. part, I feel like they would have done a lot better. Um, but there were a lot of, I mean, I don't know for sure, and I love that game, but. There were a lot of factors that ended up changing how that ended up playing out. Yeah, yeah. I think that the one uh, real big issue for the indie side uh, is uh, the the investment both of time and of money to yeah. be able to do that. Uh, and if especially you're trying to, I, I think that we're talking about two different things in just transmedia properties of yeah. like telling a story over various forms of media or uh, transmedia properties that utilize the live element of a yeah. community as a part of the story. And those are kind of a little bit too okay. different. And of course, like most indies aren't going to have that community no, to be able to yeah. do that. Um, and then on the other side, if they were to tell a story over a broad, like various forms of media, now you're asking an indie to market two different products. Right. And, and uh, I, that just, and, and the only, and th that would just become tough. I think that my thing was, uh, and, and I guess I didn't state it very well, but I was I was thinking about more of like collaboration. So there's a, a web series that uh, does well here and there, and there's an indie publisher, an indie uh, development studio, whatever, that does well in this market or that. So like Developer Digital, okay. as, as they're publishing whatever, pairs up with a cyanide happiness or a, a another company that maybe hasn't yet tried to go down the gaming side of things and see if there's I don't know or yeah, or take and, and again like I'm not a huge fan of transmedia that requires you to view it on all different forms like uh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but there, there was, there was one. Oh, like even like the CW, right? All of their superhero shows, mm. um, they have these crossovers. But the thing that I don't like about the crossovers is that they reference back to them almost 
in some episodes in a way that you have to have seen the past episode on a separate show in order to understand the first half of this episode. Um, like I mean, the, the Marvel movies are kind of the same well, way. Well, that's just emulating comic books. No, okay, of course. But but what I was going to say is, is like, I think that, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's just kind of trying to, yeah. Um, I, I can see what you mean by that, of like having to read them. Um, EA, actually, funny enough, and I, I guess I shouldn't say EA. Bioware yeah. uh, actually does a good job with their transmedia properties. Okay. Um, as the uh, Dragon Age nut that I am, yeah, um, I can uh, as your phone lights up that yeah, shows your Dragon Age background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I'd love to have that talk sometime as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. transmedia um, because there's a lot of things that they do right. Yeah, um, let's maybe see if we can yeah. find somebody who oh, is slightly I working know. in that space. I know somebody who is an academic expert on Okay, like, well then wrote his doctoral thesis on transmedia. Let's definitely sure bring him in and have a discussion about this. So cool. I I think that that's probably Yeah, we're uh, we're right about Yeah, about so <laughs> uh, after edits, I don't know how I, this will probably still be a pretty long one. Um, thank you so much for listening. For everybody who comes out to the coffee clubs, thank you for coming out. We're excited to see you again. Um, just as a reminder, um, on Thursdays it's at Eight o'clock yep. again. Eight a.m. We, we eight switched it so it's now eight a.m. instead of seven thirty. Um, hard stop at nine a.m. at the Whole Foods uh, City Line. It's right on uh, Renner Road, I think it is. Yeah, it's pretty much a. Uh, George if Bush you search Whole Foods City Line, you'll find it. Um, but uh, yeah, and then Friday mornings in Frisco here at Nerdvana Coffee. I guess we didn't mention them at the beginning. I was just well, going to say at the end. Is, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, go for and, it. Yeah. Well, thank you at Nerdvana Coffee <laughs> yep. uh, for letting us use the coffee booth or uh, the podcast booth mm -hmm. and their coffee. I mean, the coffee's pretty good too. And of course, thank you to Something Simple Services for mm -hmm. uh, sponsoring the podcast. Um, they they let us uh, keep posting these online so that they don't throw yeah. out all of our data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I am Eric Brody. You can hit me up on Twitter at Eric Brody. David Farris, uh, at David S. Farris on any media. <laughs> and I'm Michael Sewell, at Sewell Softworks on Twitter, or Pro Cooking anywhere else. Awesome. And Pro and Cooking? Yeah, that's my yeah, name. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, we will, I, I always laugh every time I see like. I can give you guys the full history yeah, on that. Yeah, sweet. Uh, and we will see you at the next Coffee Club, and have a good day. See you guys.